You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. Yeah, every, every you guys have seen the movie uh, The Music Man or seen the musical or something like that. All right, you know that in the, music, in the Music Man, he teaches or he is pretending to be a music teacher and teaching all the, the kids how to play instruments, but they do it using something called the think method. They spend months and months without their instruments just thinking about the music. And so that's kind of how I do things. I just, I just think about it. I don't actually prepare. So uh, we're just going to pick a random verse right now. And I'm just kidding. I actually am prepared. That joke only works, though, if by the end you actually think I'm prepared. doesn't matter if I actually was. It has to sound like it now, so it's kind of scary. But we're going to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to start at verse 14. Holy Spirit, you are the great teacher. God, we honor you. We know that you are here and that you are speaking to us right now. Jesus, I just ask that you would use me. And God, that you'd open up our eyes, open up our ears. Let us receive what you have for each one of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So verse 14, it says, For in Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Old things are gone. New is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And God made him him who had no sin to be sin for us. So, and this is probably one of my favorite little quotes from the Bible. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. It's so important to know that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. So this message is called... Actually, it's not even written down here. It's called Restored to Favor. (laughs) Good thing I remembered it. Think method. Yes. It's called Restored to Favor. And it talks about here the message that was committed to us. And so often we think the message committed to us is a moral message. In fact, I talk about not being prepared. I was thinking about it today, about one of the first times I ever preached here at the river other than at youth group, where Pastor Doug was still the pastor here, our first pastor here at this church, and he had asked me to preach, and I am a classic under-preparer, honestly, because if I over-prepare, I do ruin it, no matter what it is. When I was in school, I would not, you know, I would try to study, I would maybe read through once my notes once, and that's, uh, that's all I can do. I can't think about it anymore. Go to sleep. And hey, you know, it actually usually works, but I remember I prepared this sermon and came into church, you know, ready to preach, super nervous, because, you know, at that point I had only preached in front of teenagers and Pastor John at college once. But, uh, you know, so it was my first time preaching in adult church. This was like seven years ago. And I got here and I thought, man, I really don't want to preach that. And this has happened to me multiple times, actually, mostly in youth group, 
it's a little more okay there. But I'm like, I don't want to preach that. And so I'm like, it's right before service. They're, doing, they're getting ready for worship. And I'm like, I've got to find something else to talk about. And I was thinking, I don't remember if this was the message or not, but I think it might have been that that day I actually had this sermon prepared. If, if, I, if this wasn't the sermon, then I actually preached this sermon, which is way worse. But I had this verse from the Old Testament about them casting people out of the camp because they were holding everybody back from the presence of God because they weren't, you know, praying enough. They weren't being good enough. And so I basically preached, either preached or hopefully changed my message and did not preach this message about how, man, if you're just not, you know, if you're not right on with God right now, if you're not doing everything right, you're just holding the whole church back and you should just leave. Yeah, yeah, that's great, right? So often we think that's the message is that you need to really, really, really be good. You just need to be better. You're never good enough. Uh, repentance, 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 repentance. You need to repent more. You need to do more of the right things or just get the heck out of here. And that is not the message that God has for us. And it says here that the message is a message of reconciliation. Now, when you reconcile your bank account, I don't know how many of you guys do that. Honestly, I don't. <laughs> but I remember when I used to, which is, was a smarter thing. You know, you, you compare your checkbook, right, to see if it matches what your bank statement says. So you're comparing what you think is the truth, honestly, with what actually happened. And then if it doesn't line up, then it's not reconciled. That's when you have to find the problem. You have to fix the problem. Now, Strong's, the word here, Strong's is a, a Greek dictionary, and uh, they define the word here, though, that comes to us as reconciliation, not just as bringing two things back in line together, like reconciling your bank account, but actually a restoration to favor. And you can see that more in the reconciling of a friendship. If you guys have ever lost friends or lost family because of some silly argument, because of some stupid thing that happened between the two of you, you know, when that is restored if it is restored, and hopefully, hopefully all those will be, you know, but we all go through those times. When they're restored, though, it's not just that you're, you know, back on the same path. Okay, you were wrong. Now you recognize it. Thank God. Let's move on. But you actually care about that person now. You care about that person in a different way than when there was this big gap between you, that now they mean something more to you. Their opinion matters more to you. You want to do things to please them because they're once again in your favor, that your friends are in your favor, that you care about them. Now, Jesus reconciled us to himself. And he didn't wait for us to make things right. With most of those relationship issues, what happens is one person knows the other person was wrong, whether or not they are, and they're just going to wait it out until that person comes back and does the right thing. But that is not what Jesus did for us. It says that he reconciled us to himself. God wasn't in the wrong. We were in the wrong. But God didn't wait for us to make things right by changing the way we lived. He didn't wait for us to come to him, you know, bow down and be like, I did this, this, this. Let me just go and list all the mistakes I've made in my life, God. But he came and he did the reconciling. He reconciled us to himself. He did everything necessary for your righteousness and your reconciliation so that you can say truly that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, uh, how many of you guys have ever been waiters? Waiters or waitresses? Anybody? Okay. My first job was a busser, and it was just, you know, a stepping stone to become a waiter. Wow, yeah, it was a good thing. Honestly, though, like, that was the hard thing moving up here. When, when we were thinking about moving up here, that was one of the big worries was, like, what, we have to find a different job. And actually, the waiting job down in Dallas, that's not bad money. So we were, we were a little worried about what the money was going to be like up here. 
And, uh, but as a waiter, you know, you love it when you get good tips and it doesn't matter how bad you know you did when you get a bad tip, you just, you're upset about it. But uh, there's been a lot of just ridiculously good tips in this world. And I was reading a story about a guy named Aaron. I don't remember his last name, but he died. And in his will, you know, will or last wishes that he told them, I don't know exactly. He was a young guy. He told his family that he wanted them to go to a pizza place in town that he liked to go to. And he wanted them to leave a $500 tip. That's awesome. Unfortunately, they didn't have the money to do that. So they created a website to raise the funds to honor his last wish and give the $500. They raised over $60,000. So since that day, a couple years ago, they've been going place to place to place all over America, just surprising people with $500 tips, $500 tips, $500 tips, $500 tips. Now that's a huge overpayment for what Aaron originally wanted. That $60,000 that came in when they wanted $500, that's a huge overpayment. Then they got sponsorships so that they could take this road trip to all 50 states and give people $500. That's a lot of money in gas. You know, you got to actually buy the food and all the expenses as they stay places. They got sponsorships. They got businesses to pay them to go around and tip people. That's a huge overpayment for what they asked for. And if you know the value of Jesus, then you know that when Jesus died on the cross for you, that it was a huge overpayment for your sins. It was a huge overpayment for your sins. It was extreme. That's why we can know that we're not only forgiven for the things we did before we came to Jesus, but we can know that as we make more mistakes in life, as we're going to, as we make more mistakes, we can know that God has already taken care of that because he didn't just pay what was missed. It's like if you overdrafted your bank account and you called and you're like, I'm sure I should have $10 in there. And they're like, no, you shouldn't, but we'll go ahead and deposit a million for you. Okay. (laughs) But there's still the question of receiving that reconciliation. The verse says, we implore you to be reconciled to God. Yet it says that Christ reconciled us to himself. So the question here is, is what does it mean to be reconciled? What do, you have to, what do you have to do is really always our question. What do I need to do? You know, I mean, that's what the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said. What do I need to do to be saved? It didn't work out very well for him. But be reconciled here is passive. It means the reconciliation is still something that's happening to you. Be reconciled. Here, what it's saying is that you have to receive reconciliation. That is, we're still the one to whom the reconciliation is occurring. We're not reconciling ourselves to him. We're accepting that he has reconciled us to himself. It's like, if we go back to that bank account, they deposited a million dollars in your bank account when you should have been $5 overdrawn. But now, if you just look at your, your checkbook and you're like, I'm just going to leave it like that just to be safe. I'm just going to leave it at $10, what I thought it should be. I should have $10. You're never, ever, ever going to take advantage of that million-dollar blessing that was given to you because you're always going to look at your bank account when the time comes to spend money and be like, money's pretty tight right now. I got about $30 left. So, meanwhile, you have a million dollars sitting in the bank, but you haven't received it. You haven't recognized it. You haven't applied it to your life. So it's worth nothing to you. As Christians, we have received reconciliation to salvation. But there's so much more than just 
reconciliation to salvation, it still says that we're restored to his favor. And until we recognize that, we're still missing out on that million-dollar blessing that God has for us. And I'm not talking about money or not just money. But we're missing out on all the things that God has for us. That God doesn't just have salvation for you. That he didn't just save you from hell or save you for someday in the sweet by and by, but he saved you for something right now. So we are restored to his favor. Now grace, that that applies perfectly to grace because grace is unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. It's favor that you totally do not deserve, that you did nothing to get. It's God's favor that you received just because he wanted to give it to you. So uh, I was at a church recently, uh, out of town, so I was visiting actually my old church when I was a kid, and a young man had become the pastor there recently, and he was preaching a series that was pretty new to the church called Grace Alone. And it was amazing. I was just there for one sermon, but I was, I was hugely impressed. And I had actually kind of grown up with that guy, so I kind of knew him. And, you know, I didn't expect anything, honestly, as good as it was. It was amazing what he was preaching, and it was right on. And uh, I was very just surprised to hear it at that church because I knew they believed in grace, like most Christians do but it just wasn't to the same extent that they had always applied it. And he was, just, he was just hitting it right on the nail. And then after he gets done, they come up to take communion. They're taking communion at the end of the service. And one of the elders gets up, and it was the most awkward, out-of-place thing because, you know, he's, you know, they normally talk about communion. They talk about the Last Supper, and then they pray. And he's like, yes, that was great. We're talking about grace alone today. And, you know, the law is still great. Like, I don't remember exactly what they said, but they're like, the law also, you know, it was— we should remember the law too. The law was there to, to bring us to Jesus. And yeah, but they brought us to grace. But yeah, you know, and even though they tried to glaze it over and bring it back to grace, it was just like, why did you have to bring up the law? They had to bring it up. It was just in their head that, that you know what? We've been talking about so much grace today. We got to do something to balance this out. We got to do something to balance this out. And then after the service, I was already thinking, man, something's going on back here with the elders. And then I went up to just go tell the pastor, you know, great job, loved it. And while, when I went up there, one of the missionaries that's been part of that church forever and ever uh, was standing there talking to him. So I just stood off to the side and listened in. And he's lecturing the kid. I mean, this pastor was doing so great. He's just smiling and nodding, you know, as we so often do when we don't really care what somebody's saying. <laughs> but he was smiling and nodding. And the, past, the missionary is just like, yes, grace. But the big thing he said was this, grace for what? grace so that we can keep the law. That's what God's grace is for. God's grace is so we can keep the law. Pastor just smiles and nods. Okay. And I didn't know this at the time, but that, that missionary is also on the elder board of that church. So he, that pastor is taking it pretty hard with his elders, I'm imagining, by trying to bring in this message of grace. But grace for what? As I sat there listening, I was like, this is terrible, and I feel bad for this guy. But at the same time, I was like, it stopped me. Because so many times we hear things like that, and it really does make us think, oh, yeah, we need to go back. We need to go back to the law, you know? I'm like, grace for what? So I left, and I was still just, this question was running through my head. And for some reason, I couldn't come up with a good answer for it. You know, like, what grace? Yeah, grace for what? And then it was like, ding! You know, like, why didn't, why didn't I think of this earlier? Grace for everything, duh! Grace for everything. Most importantly, grace for salvation. Salvation is the greatest act of God's undeserved, unmerited favor that we don't deserve to be saved but he saved us. Grace for that. If we just say grace to keep the law, well, that's nothing compared to the grace for salvation. What about beyond salvation? God has grace 
for your healing. That's right. When you're healed, it's not because you deserve to be healed. It's because God has all of his favor on you, that he cares about you, he loves you, and doesn't matter what you deserve, he wants to give you blessings. He wants to give you healing. Grace for your finances, grace for every situation you walk into, grace for success, grace for growth, favor for your future. You have the favor of God in you in every situation you walk into. When you go into a job interview, God's favor is with you. God is with you. And if you don't get that job, well, it must be because God has something even better out there for you. Because God is looking at all the candidates and he's saying, you know what? You are my favorite. You're my favorite. I love the story of, you know, John, the disciple, because it's his gospel where we constantly hear about the disciple Jesus loved. His gospel, as in the one he wrote, and you've heard me talk about this before, but it's, he's the one who constantly says, John, the disciple that Jesus loved. Not Peter, the disciple Jesus loved. He's probably the one that Jesus loved also. John's the disciple that Jesus loved. John is the disciple that Jesus loved. He sees himself as being so loved by God. And you need to see yourself that same way. You need to see yourself as God's favorite. I tell my kids all the time, you're my favorite. And it's, it's kind of, you know, then it can be kind of confusing because I have four kids and I'll tell one they're my favorite and then I'll go to the other, you're my favorite. And truthfully, by, by definition, I guess that can't be true because, you know, if, they're, if everything's your favorite, nothing's your favorite. But let's say it's a bit of an exaggeration that you need to make in your mind to say, you know what? As much as God loves Pastor Ann, as much as God loves Pastor Casey, between the three of us, I'm pretty sure God's my, I mean, I'm God's favorite. <laughs> you could say that, okay? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not really true. God loves Pastor Ann just as much as you. But God, all of his favor rests on you. And you need to convince yourself of that. You need to receive his favor. And that's, that's what it's talking about here, where we implore you, be reconciled to God. Receive reconciliation. Yes, receive reconciliation to salvation. And then receive reconciliation to full favor with God. That you don't have to walk around anymore looking at yourself, wondering if you're good enough for God. God has made you good enough. God sees you as perfect. God sees you as beautiful. God sees you as good. Even when you can't see yourself that way, even when there's things in your life that are making you think of yourself as something less, set your eyes on what God has called you, that God has called you his favorite, that God loves you, he's pleased with you, and his favor rests on you. So 2 Corinthians, we were just reading in chapter 5, read to the end there. We're going to skip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 2. And it says here, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now is the time of God's favor and now is the day of salvation. That's such a powerful verse. In the time of my favor, I have heard you and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now when I say about how I had preached previously at this church, you know, it came out of 
legalism. It came out of law. It came out of works. And even now, as I read the Bible, it's crazy the way that all tries to creep back in. It's, it's actually the time when it most tries to creep back in. It's when I open the Bible and I start reading and I start studying and I'll get stuck on something and I'll not see, just like that question, favor for what? It was a simple answer. It was obvious. But the enemy comes in and he tries to steal it. He tries to plant something else. He tries to plant doubts because he wants you to make your works more important than Christ's work. He doesn't want you to apply God's favor to your life. So as I'm reading this verse, it's the same thing that I, I felt stuck. Despite all that that I just said, now is the day of God's favor, that God's, God hears you and God, this is the time when God wants to help you. Despite hearing all of that in the verse, I was stuck on don't receive his grace in vain. And so I'm thinking, what does it mean to receive his grace in vain? What does it mean to receive his grace in vain? And I, you know, kept comparing it to the rest of 2 Corinthians 6 and the rest of 2 Corinthians 5. But my head, despite the fact that it doesn't say anything like this, my head just keeps going back, well, obviously, you know, it means to not receive his grace and not start living right after that. And as I looked at commentaries to see, you know, what some other people's thoughts were, I was seeing the same thing. If you receive God's grace and your life doesn't completely change, you haven't really received his grace. It was in vain. And so I'm stuck on this, and I'm dealing with it, you know, and I'm, I'm seeking God about it. And honestly, to be honest with you guys, if I had to go back to that way of viewing God, I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could. I love God so much that my, my whole perception of God has changed from a, I want to live right so I don't go to hell, to, to so much of a, I just love God, and I just want to live in relationship with him that I don't want to go back to where I was before. I don't want to go back to living right so that something bad doesn't happen to me or so that God thinks I'm okay. I love our God. So as I'm dealing with this, I'm, I'm thinking, God, what does this mean? What does it mean to receive his grace in vain? And I'm going to propose to you that it really means to not receive it at all. When you don't receive God's grace, God's grace is in vain. God's grace is there for you constantly. But unless you take it and apply it to your life, then that grace is in vain. Faith and receiving are one. Unfortunately, I write down the verses for this. But the Bible says that it is by faith through grace. You know, that, that we receive grace through faith. And faith is how we receive. Faith is when we take what God has done and apply it to our life. When we say, I recognize that you have reconciled me by what you did, and I know that I am forgiven. When we look at our situation, when you look at that job interview, and you apply it, when you receive God's grace, and you say, you know what? As I'm going into that job interview, I am God's favorite. That's when you're receiving it, and you're applying it. And every day, you have an opportunity to apply that grace to your life. And whenever you apply it, that grace is not in vain. And God's favor not only is toward you, but you have received it, you've applied it, you've let it affect your life. So it says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. And that goes right along with it there, that right now is the time of God's grace, of God's favor, that today, God's grace rests on you. And that means from what it says right here, 
that he hears you. That when you call on his name, he hears you. Now there's, there's times where my kids are talking to us. In fact, I was telling my wife the other day, sometimes my kids will just be shouting random words and they're not coherent sentences, but they really want you to listen. And then another kid's shouting at the same time, you don't hear a single word of it. It's like they're just throwing words at you and you're just like sitting there like a deer in the headlights. Stop. Stop. Just go to your room. You know, like We'll talk later when I'm sane again. But when you talk to God, God hears you. That doesn't mean that it's not just words hitting him in the head, bouncing off, but he, he hears what you're saying, and he not only hears what you're saying, he knows your heart. The Bible says he knows the thoughts and intents. John says this, it's amazing. Not of your mind, not all the crazy things that are going on in your head. God knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. So when you ask, God doesn't just know all the things that are going through your head. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what's best for you, and he hears you like nobody else hears you. Like when you're trying to express an idea to somebody and you just cannot articulate it, you cannot get them on the same level as you, God is not waiting for you to say it right. He's not waiting for you to say the right prayer to get the answer. He understands you. He hears you. And then it says that in the day of my favor, in the day of salvation, I helped you. So he doesn't just hear you. But when he hears you, we know that his answer is yes, that God is wanting to help you. And when we receive by faith this grace and this favor that he has for us, God is answering your prayers at that moment, that God is already dealing with the things necessary. We talked about today, you know, that maybe there's yellow light sometimes. Maybe there's a moment where you need to wait because God is waiting for the time when it's going to be best for you. But God is ready to help you and he cares about you and wants to help you. And it's not in someday, it's today, in the day of my favor, in the day of salvation, I have helped you. I have heard you and I have helped you. In Luke 15, 25 through 32, it talks about the, the prodigal son. We're all familiar with that story or, or the story of the, the father with two sons, really. That one son, you know, they, they divide everything the father has. The one son goes away, wastes it all, and comes back. The father, with open arms, receives him before he has a chance to repent. He doesn't make him a servant, doesn't make him go do his chores. He throws him a party. And in verse 25, it starts talking about the other son now. Now his older son was in the field. He was working. He was doing doing good work. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go on, and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years, I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. Really good religious person. It actually sounds a lot, once again, like the rich young ruler. He says, you know, what can I do to be saved? He said, well, keep all the commandments. He said, I've done that ever since I was a little kid. I've done everything right. I've never done anything wrong. He says, 
I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. In other words, much less a fattened calf. You never given me something little. You never let me just have a little party with my friends. Now you're inviting all the neighbors over and throwing a big party. He says, but when this son of yours, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live again, and was lost and has been found. Everything that belongs to the Father belongs to you. Everything that I have is yours, he says to that son. But he never applied it. He had all the favor of the Father, but he never applied it. And truthfully, he always wanted to. He always wanted to have this party with the goat and his friends. He wanted to get together and do this. But even now, his father's throwing a party, inviting him, begging him to come in and enjoy it. And he's just staying outside because all he can think about is his work, all the good things he's done, all the commands he's followed. And he's bitter against the father because he thinks he deserves better. It's not about what you deserve, but you have the favor of the Father so that everything he has is yours if you'll receive it, if you'll apply it to your life, that you can have all that he says you can have. You can be all that he says you can be. You can do anything that he says you can do. You are all that he says you are. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as through God, we're making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 